Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Orchard. Coming up over the next 90 minutes. Labour reinstated our position when it comes to the pension funds. That all pension funds are exempted. As per the MOU signed with government. Organized Labour retreats its opposition to the inclusion of pension funds in the government debt exchange program. And this is coming a day after the government extended the expiry date for the uh, debt exchange program. We'll be hearing from Organized Labour what its fears uh, really are. Uh, meanwhile, the President, Nanadu has designated Labour Minister Ignatius Bafuwa as Minister responsible for pensions. We'll hear what that really means. And later on Eyewitness News, a former member of parliament for Mampong in the Ashanti region, Francis Adainimo, has formally announced his decision to contest the flag bearership of the new patriotic party. Tonight, we'll find out from him why he keeps going at the same job year on and year in, year after. Stay with 97.3 CTF for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business, Ghana Securities Industry Association calls for further clarification on aspects of the new terms in the Domestic Debt Exchange Program. And Senior Tax Services Manager at KPMG calls for the introduction of performance indicators to ensure the Independent Tax Appeals Board delivers on its mandate. That's in 15 minutes with Michael Ogbodu from the business desk of CTFM and CDTV Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including in the western region on Premier 100.5 FM and uh, Sky Power 93.5 FM and Beach 105.5 FM. All these are in Takradi. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the Ashanti region on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. In the eastern region on Right 90.1 FM in Somanya. In the Volta region on Holi, 98.5 FM in Aplau. Northern region, we are on Dasuma, 99.1 FM in Yendi. Upper East, we are on Word FM, 88.3 in Zuarungu. And in Upper West, we are on Bugli Radio, 88.6 FM in Uwa. Do send us your reactions to the stories we are bringing you. On WhatsApp, the number to send your message to is 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can also send tweets using the hashtag... City Newsroom. You can also watch Eyewitness News on Facebook. We are streaming live from our studios in number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. In case you are having difficulties tuning in your radio, you are not available to listen to us through the radio set. Do so by going on to Facebook and uh, listening into Eyewitness News, watching the live stream that we are broadcasting for you. Eyewitness News is coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And the first one has to do with organized labor. It is still opposed 
to government's debt exchange program, the inclusion of pension funds. We'll talk about that shortly. But before then, the Minister for Employment and Labor Relations and Member of Parliament, the Honorable Ignatius Bafewa, made an announcement today when he appeared before the Public Accounts Committee of Parliament, which announcement is that the President had designated him as a minister in charge of pensions in the country. Since the publication, many people have been asking the question, where is this coming from? Why is the president creating a new ministry at this time? So I called him up just before I came on Eyewitness News, and I mean the Minister for Employment, Ignatius Bafewa, and asked him to explain what the mandate to him was by the president. Listen. All right, we'll, we'll be bringing your apologies. We'll be bringing that voice to you, the, the soundbite of the Minister for Employment and Labor Relations. Uh, but uh, we, we put a number of questions to him, including issues about labor agitation, the labor front, how he's dealing with that. We'll be hearing from him uh, shortly. Plus, we'll also be hearing from organized labor on the challenges it has with um, the DDE. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a statement that it has issued this afternoon, talking about uh, its opposition to DDE. There was actually even a press conference. So um, the, the, the statement issued on 1st February, that's today, said, following a meeting held at the TUC Hall on 1st February 2023 by organized labor, it was resolved that, one, per the agreement between government of Ghana and organized labor signed on Thursday, 22nd December 2022, with the Finance Minister, Honorable Ken Ofriata and Honorable Ignatius Bafuwa, Minister for Employment and Labor Relations, executing same on behalf of the Government of Ghana and Dr. Anthony Yaoban, Secretary General of TUC, on behalf of Organized Labor. Paragraph 1, as stated as follows. Quote, Government has decided to grant exemption to all pension funds in the DDE program. Unquote. Organized labor hereby reiterates that this position is final as far as involvement of pensions funds in the DDEP is concerned. By this, organized labor and all our pension schemes are not participating in any DDE program as per the aforementioned exemption from government. Any contrary communication or position is alien to us and should be dismissed by all well-meaning Ghanaians. <clears throat> Any attempt to go contrary to this agreement will be firstly resisted by organized labor. We assure all workers of Ghana that organized labor will continue to safeguard the interest at all times. So that's a statement signed by Dr. Anthony Alba, Secretary General of TUC, and uh, Dr. Isaac Bampuado of Clocksack, who is Chairman of the Forum, as well as Mr. Ken Kumsin, who is Deputy Secretary General of the Ghana Federation of Labor. So the domestic debt exchange program was uh, due to elapse yesterday. Um, it was supposed to expire yesterday. The government has since done an extension, and that extension um, is um, what is actually triggering this decision of organized labor. Now, before the DD expiry date, uh, there were lots of concerns raised. There are people who are asking for wider consultations and so on. There is even a view 
that there are challenges to the financial sector, the, the banking sector of Ghana, if this DDE uh, continues. One such person holds a view is a lawyer and member of parliament for Boku Central, Mohamed Yarga. He spoke on the City Breakfast Show today, and he said that the appropriate authorities ought to relook at the directive because it is legal. Now, what directive is he talking about? He's talking about a directive to banks that will be affected by the ongoing domestic debt exchange program to approach the Ghana Amalgamated Trust PLC uh, for support. We, we read for you his uh, letter to the Bank of Ghana governor yesterday. Uh, this morning, Benadavle was able to speak to him on the breakfast show. Let's listen. You said 15 billion or 50 billion, whatever, even if it's just 1 billion, from where? From which public source? We need to know that. And it, you can't just commit 15 billion of even 1 billion without coming to us in Parliament so that we know that this is where you are taking the money from. And then we authorize you to go ahead and take that money. And without coming to Parliament, without any indication, you've already shepherded them. Go to God. Go and sit and let God tell you how this is going to be to be structured. One, I say God itself is an illegal entity. I mean, it's not the kind of body that should be doing this. And secondly, you are not certain as to where the money is going to come from. And if the history is anything to go by, God gets his money from private sources. So once again, if the God model is what you're going to use, you are definitely in the end going to tell the banks that God is going to lend from somewhere in the financial market, come and invest in you, and later on sell the shares to those that will buy so that they can raise money to go and pay. And I'm saying that that is a strategy you are using to take over these banks. That's uh, the Honorable Mahama Ayariga. He's Member of Parliament for Boko Central. Uh, speaking to us there about his own um, kettle of fish relating to the debt exchange program of government. And I've also read for you the a statement by organized labor. Currently, we do know that the government has uh, moved the deadline to 7th February. That's next Tuesday uh, for people to voluntarily sign on to the program and it keeps insisting that the program is um, voluntary people are not obligated to or are not going to be forced to be on the program except the part where it said that there would be um, the, the, the bonds may be may not be tradable and that many people have taken issue uh, with uh, this is eyewitness news on 97.3 ctfm we are coming to you from our studios in adabraka in Accra. Um, let me now go on the phone lines and uh, engage organized labor on its opposition to the government debt exchange program. Dr. Isaac Bampuado is uh, with the forum of um, the forum that is actually discussing this DDP on behalf of organized labor and he's also with the Civil and Local Government Staff Association of Ghana Clockstack. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, yeah, thank you. Now, we noticed you called the media to say that you are reiterating your position and even reminding us of a, a, an agreement that was signed between your party, your side as one party and the, the ministry or the government on the other. Is it the case that you have noticed a, an attempt by government to do a U-turn of on, on an earlier agreement? That's why you had to sound the bells now? Yeah, because um, our attention has been drawn to my uh, interview that uh, I think uh, Honorable John Kumar had with Joy FM, where he could not categorize it. 
that pensions funds have been exempted. And we've had calls from our people, our members, really question us really what is happening. But our understanding is that pensions funds have been exempted from the debt exchange program. So we wanted to assure our members that the, the MOU that we send with government still stands, and there's no doubt about it. And government should fulfill its side of the agreement. But you have a pen or you have a signature from the Minister for Finance. That's powerful enough. Why are you bothered by other well, commentaries? If, 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 if a, a minister is asked on a program on Joy FM and he could not categorically state what the Minister of Finance has signed, <laughs> why wouldn't it bring doubt in the minds of our members? Because the question is then, is it, are they uh, negotiating in good faith? But if because the minister should have told me being clear, yes, pension funds are exempted. But I, I just listened to the clip. He, he was, like himself, was in doubt whether pension funds are part or not. And that has brought doubt to the MOU that we signed. Then we have to make things clear. And we are sure our members, well, genetic change, we're going to resist it. Okay, but if you have had an agreement with the minister, and this is just a radio interview, clearly it's the radio... It's a radio interview. You are speaking the whole world. I know, but I'm just saying so that... We should also let the whole world know that, per our understanding, the MOU is intact. Is there anything wrong with that? You no, know, so I'm just saying that, I'm, I'm uh, sure you're not, you not thinking that the inter- radio interview would override the agreement that you have. It's not a matter of the radio interview overriding... Uh, what everyone was saying. But this, an humble deputy minister of finance making this statement. We don't sit down aloof and just to call and assume that all is well. We must reassure our members that to the best of our knowledge, the exemption still stands. So this is just a warning you are giving uh, to the... To the to, we are reassuring our members and then letting government know that go by the MOU. Either than that, we resist whatever you, know, you bring to us. Have you, though, been able to speak to the minister himself or the deputy minister since you had this this interview of his? Uh, has he given uh, you any comments? Well, this, this information came to our notice uh, this afternoon. We are yet to have an interaction with the uh, minister to really know what is happening at the Ministry of Finance. Because if an MOU has been signed by the Ministry of Finance, all of them should be speaking with one voice. Th- th- that's fair enough. So we, we want to know what is happening there. Okay. It appears you are very keen on the issues of pension funds, but the individual funds that the government is targeting, that would also affect your members. Why is organized labor fixated only on the pension funds? Why not worried about the other issues? No, no, no. If if you care to know, we've also uh, had issues with the individual bondholders. That's why government is not categorically stating that if you go to maturity, you don't have a problem for individual bondholders. So we've not let, we insisted. And if you look at the, uh, MOE that we signed, we said all pensions. It's not only pensions under the regulation of MPI. We said all pensions. It even includes our members who are on pension. So, so they, we carry them along. Now the latest, um, in, information that the government released yesterday 
Does that satisfy you, the explanation that has been given? It even no, to be, to be honest with you, I have not seen that. I'm not privy to that information. Okay, that, that's fine. Let's, let's, to, let's, so let's I, leave I it here. To that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking to us. It's a pleasure. That's Dr. Isaac uh, Bampuado. He's um, with the Clock Sack and also uh, chairman of the forum that is uh, negotiating with the government on this issue of um, pension funds. They said they already had an agreement with the Minister of Finance, which agreement has been signed that their pension funds should not be tied. And listening to what they say was an interview uh, granted by granted to Joy FM by Dr. John Kuma, Deputy Minister of Finance. He apparently had said something to the contrary, or he was uncertain. Uh, we've uh, tried to hear from John Kuma since he um, <clears throat> came up. He's not been available to explain to us what the position, whether the government has done a U-turn on this issue of pensions, which we, we are told was signed as an agreement between the parties, or it was an issue of uh, he being misrepresented or misquoted, or he was going to allay the fears of organized labor. He's not been uh, responding to our phone requests uh, or phone calls uh, for, for, for an interview. So that would be it for now on the issue of organized labor and the DDE. However, other stories making the headline is that the Minister for Employment and Labor Relations is now the minister who has been given the special uh, duties to take care of issues having to do with pensions. When we come back from this break, you hear his explanation what exactly the president tasked him to do. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Let's now hear from Minister for Employment and Labor Relations, General Ignatius Bafuiwa. He has been given an additional mandate as minister to be responsible for pensions. Many people interpreted that to mean that he, a new ministry has been created by President Akufado. So we called him up. I spoke to him just before we came on air. Listen. It is true that I, I was at the Public Accounts Committee to, hearing today, and um, the chairman asked this question about uh, which minister has the responsibility uh, to oversight uh, SMIT. Then I read a letter I received from the presidency authorizing me to do that. So it's not a new, new thing. Uh, I remain as the Minister for Employment, uh, except that um, I have an additional responsibility of oversight in the pensions uh, department. This letter from the president, when did you receive it? Yeah, it's dated 30th. January. So is this year? 23, yeah. And specifically, what was the term of reference that the president gave you? Yes, um, the term of reference is that simple. I, as I indicated, I have a responsibility to oversight uh, the activities of uh, the pension industry, um, specifically to oversight uh, uh, SNIT and National Pensions Regulatory Authorities. Please educate me. The understanding is that as Minister for Employment and Labor Relations, pensions fall under that, no? Yes, the law says that the the president has to designate a specific minister for uh, pensions. Um, uh, 
so so that's exactly what he's done. Even though yes, um, to a greater extent, I was I was playing that particular role, but um, I have not officially been designated as the minister responsible. So um, it's been made more official. But has it always been the case that there should be a minister designated for pensions, or this is a new creation of the law? And when was the law passed? No, no, no. He that too, um, the 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 had. It had actually, to be very honest, uh, turned between the uh, Ministry of Finance and the Ministry of Employment and Labor Relations. Okay, so there's a new law that demands specifically that... It's, it's not a new law. It's, it's a law that has been uh, in operation since the New Pensions Act, Act 766. Uh, sorry, Act... Uh, yes, Act 766 of uh, 2008, uh, the National Pensions Act. So specifically, what would you be doing to SNIT or with SNIT? And what would you be doing with the National Pensions Regulatory Authority and specifically... No, I would see them as one of my agencies. Of course, you, you do know that uh, as a, a sector, there are so many public institutions which comes under us. And uh, it would be one of those that comes under us. Um, will be responsible for policy direction so far as those two institutions are concerned. And then um, we'll also provide oversight of their activities. I see. So does it mean you are now going to be called Minister for Employment, Labor Relations and Pensions? Is that going to be part of your portfolio? I'm not aware of that. I know that I'm the Minister for Employment and Labor Relations. Does it mean that... Of course, of course. As, 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 as Minister for Employment and Labor Relations, there are so many... Uh, institutions or uh, agencies that comes under me, but I'm not called by their names. For instance, uh, uh, MDPI comes under my ministry. Uh, Factories Inspectorate Division comes under my ministry, but I'm not called the Minister of Factory Inspection. Okay, so so this is this is new because of the the publication that we we got and the information from. Well, the... I, I I I'm surprised at at the level of publications because um, it, it was just to clear a point to the Public Account Committee that yes. Um, when SNIT is coming before you, when NPRA is coming before you, this is the minister that will be responsible for the activities. Does it mean that you, you then are going to have a new more, a few more specs, you know, as a minister supervising a different sector or everything that you were entitled to hold, nothing would be added to you? Let me tell you, even as a member of parliament, and also doubling as a minister state, I, I, I have chosen to be on my parliamentary path. You don't, I hope you get me. You don't take ministerial salary and specs. You do parliamentary one. Yes. And there's no way I can take double. Oh, okay. So you had the option of choosing to be paid as a minister or as a, as a member of parliament, and you chose to be yes. paid as a... Yes, you can, choose, you can choose to be on the payroll of parliament, or you can choose to be on the payroll of a, uh, a minister of state. And you have been minister for six years. You remain as MP. Yes, and I have also been a minister, a, a, an MP all that while. So, and I prefer that, and I, I, I'm okay with that. So what services does the ministry give you? Maybe a driver, a security man, or get all these things from parliament? 
No, as a member of parliament, I'm not entitled to a driver. Yes, I'm entitled to a security, and my security that I moved with was uh, given to me by parliament. Uh, I, I have not taken an additional security as a minister of state. Okay. Any, any reason you are doing that? Are you trying to tighten your belt because the economy is tough, or this is just a personal position? Well, um, this is not something I did only yesterday. Okay. <laughs> As you said, I've been a minister for six years, and uh, anybody that has, has been so close to close with me will attest the fact that um, I, I, I I'm still using my security attache as when I was in parliament those days. I see. Um, finally, before I let you go, it's not every time we get you to, to have a conversation with you. Now that I have you, just to ask you, the issue of the agitations at the labor front, do they give you headaches as minister supervising the sector? Because there are times they go on strike for some issues that are not even related necessarily to their work. For instance, the last time they were going on strike because their pension funds would be touched. Uh, and then you would have to deal with them. H how are you surviving that, that very turbulent sector of, 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 of the government? No, certainly, certainly as a human being. If I say that uh, um, I, I am not in a way affected by such actions, then I, I would not be realistic. Um, they do, such agitations do come, um, but uh, it takes uh, cool minds and cool heads to be able to handle such issues. Um, I thank God so far we have been able to handle all issues that have come up. And uh, uh, to the best of my uh, to the best of my knowledge, I, I can say that uh, I've not been stressed in any way at all. That's the Minister for Employment and Labour Relations, Honourable Ignatius Bafoy, was speaking to us on that new uh, designation, giving him by the president to deal with issues having to do with pensions where he's going to have uh, responsibility and oversight over the Social Security and National Insurance Trust, NIT, as well as the National Pensions Regulatory Authority, the NPRA. Let's move on to some other stories now. Uh, Kosia. Yes, the consumers of water and electricity are not excited about the increase in utility tariffs which has taken effect today, February 1, 2023. The Public Utilities and Regulatory Commission announced a 30% increase in electricity and 8.3% for water. Reasons for the approval of the increase have been attributed to the city depreciation, the soaring inflation and also power generation issues. Here are some consumers speaking to City News. It's like our leaders are not thinking about us. You increase it today. Don't be surprised if tomorrow they come back telling us, you know what, the dollar has gone up again. They still want to increase it. What are they doing? For sure, it's, it's affecting our lives. Because um, eventually you'll be compelled to increase your prices and stuff. And imagine someone knows very well, you know, when I come to, you know, this baba shop, I'll be charged this amount of, you know, uh, 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 cities. And you come and all of a sudden we tell you, oh, Charlie, is not so again. How would you feel? Maybe you've not planned for it. We have to sit now and think about it. Maybe we are, we are going to increase our prices or something. Some of them. Not all of them. Some of them will complain because, you know, everybody and how he works and everything. So some of them will complain as the increases, their price is more. So maybe you should reduce it or something. Yeah. 
You had some consumers of electricity and water speaking to City News on the latest tariff increment. Now, a family of three has been burnt to death in a domestic fire at Ibuakwa in the Chimanuabija municipality of the Shanti region on Wednesday morning. The unfortunate incident involved a 28-year-old mother, Abigail Menu, and her two daughters, Nora Yibua and Philippa Yibua, who were nine and six years respectively. According to eyewitnesses, two other family members in the house were able to escape, but the three were trapped inside and were bent to death in the process. An eyewitness, Stephen Wundomo, has been narrating the incident to City News. I was right in front of where the incident happened. I heard a woman shouting. So I quickly rushed there. When I got there, I saw that there is a fire in the house. So we heard some sound in, t- in one of the rooms that Yeshua, 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 we are burning, we are burning. So we are trying to break and enter and rescue them. But so we. You heard them screaming. Yeah. So when we use uh, sticks and hammers, to, we try to break the door. But we couldn't because of security why they use some uh, wood to block the back of the uh, door so we couldn't break through so but we were able to rescue the landlord's wife and the and the last born which is about 12 years we were able to rescue those ones but uh, the landlord's first born which is 28 years and the and the daughters uh, they are two so the, that means the uh, the landlord's grandchild so the daughter and the, the grandchildren, so they were two, nine years and uh, six years. So the daughter is, uh, is his interest. She's 28 years. So we were not able to break and enter. So later on, we saw that the fire was too much. We called fire service uh, about 45 to one hour time before they came. By that time, we were able to quench the fire by some tenant brought uh, pumping machine that we used to pump uh, water from a septic tank to quench all the fire. So when we got where they are, we saw a gas cylinder there. So either we didn't know either it's through that gas cylinder or electrical problem or quail, we don't know. So we were trying to ask the landlord either they said uh, they were having a quail there, but mosquito quail there, but uh, she's crying, she couldn't talk. So that way we didn't know what brought the fire. Stephen Wundomo is an eyewitness to a fire incident that happened at Ibuakwa in the Ashanti region. Now, on 7th January 2025, uh, President Akufuado would have ended his tenure as president of the land, having served two terms, constitutional um, obligation on him to serve not more than two terms. The new patriotic party, the party that brought him to power, would have to choose a new flag bearer to lead it into election 2024. There are a lot of people who are jostling for that particular position. And today, one of them, Francis Adainimo, launched his campaign. We'll talk about what he said at the campaign. But before then, let me speak to our correspondent at the presidency, Sami Wiafi. He covered Nana Dudanko Akufado as a candidate and covering him now as president. Sami, um, just by way of um, quick analysis and um, recollection, we know the key people who have expressed their interest, either privately or publicly, that they want to run for office. Some have done the launching, some have not done. So what Francis Adanimo has done today, 
um, he's the second person to officially do a launch, isn't he? Yes, it is. Who, who else has launched? Uh, Alan did that a few days after he resigned from government. He held a, a nationwide broadcast officially announcing his bid to lead the MPP on the party opens nomination. So that's Alan Kwaju Chairman, the Minister Former for Trade. Yes. He was Minister under John Kufo. John Kufo, and then became the same Minister of Trade under Nana Kufado. Currently, he's in the Ashanti region. Uh, or more or less, he started campaigning already. Okay. And he's in the Ashanti region uh, meeting party delegates on, on, on this particular matter. So you mean that the party um, has allowed for people to start campaigning? No, unofficially, the party has not. The party meets tomorrow. The NEC and the National Council will meet tomorrow, mm-hmm. God willing, where they will announce a formal date for the, 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 the presidential primaries and the parliamentary primaries and also announce a date where um, 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 the nomination will be open and who and who are supposed to file the date of closing nomination and the like. So officially, um, you will say that what they are doing is, is illegal in court. You okay. will say it, it's illegal because the party is yet to open nomination. After tomorrow's uh, meeting, that's when the, the party will officially announce a date for all these activities. So is Alan doing like rallies or is he just meeting with delegates? More or less, he... he his camp has not described it as a campaign, though, but those of us who have been in politics and, and, and been students of politics, you know when someone is campaigning or not. Mm-hmm. But he calls this particular uh, tour homecoming tour of the Ashanti region because he considers Ashanti region to be home uh, a home region for him. Okay. So it's more or less coming home. But you see party people welcoming him. You know, he's been interacting with a lot of, I understand that today he moved from the Ashanti region to the Bono region, one of the regions in the Bono area there, also meeting party delegates mm-hmm. as far as this particular primary is, is concerned. Two weeks ago, we also engaged uh, the Honorable Joe Gatti, his former Minister for Railway, former Deputy Speaker of Parliament. He has also declared his intent. And I think um, Kofi Konedu Apreku also spoke here on Eyewitness News, also explained why he was in the contest and uh, he was in that contest of 2007 when there were 17 of them and this time around he's also trying to run again who else is running so we the the vice president um even though he's yet to officially announce you mm. know people close to him have said that he's going to contest um canada japan the member of parliament for the Asin central constituency as officially or okay, unofficially, but then we see his billboards across the country mm-hmm. uh, made that intention known. The former Greek minister who resigned recently is in there. Kwamneje Japan, former general secretary of the MPP, uh, is in there. You also have um, Buache Jakon, the former minister of energy, uh, also declaring that indeed when the party opens domination, he is going to uh, run. You mentioned Joe Gatte. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you know, if Kunedo uh, Apreku should also um, 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 present himself, which he has done uh, a couple of weeks ago on, mm-hmm. on City, uh, the number will come up to, I think, nine or ten people who have officially declared their intent to leave the MPP. Have you mentioned Ejako from Eastern Region? Ejako has, yes, I have mentioned okay. Ejako. Already, uh, he was he was one of the seventeen aspirants. If you remember, mm-hmm. in two thousand and seventeen, when um, the party uh, was looking for a replacement to former President Kufo, mm-hmm. at that particular primary, he had only ten votes in two thousand and seven. Uh, Kwamneje Japan is in there. He also had uh, just nine votes in the two thousand and seven primaries. So all these people are making another attempt to one way or the other. 
uh, lead the MPP. It says the party will not be electing Aneku Fado again uh, as presidential candidate in the 2024 general election. But Adainimo, he did well the last time, didn't he? Adainimo was, uh, I think, uh, number three. Uh, out in, of five. Out of five. When in, the in, party decided to yes, cut down. Yes, I think that was them. in 2014 mm. when the party decided to cut down from the 17 as we saw in 2007 mm-hmm. to uh, 5. So the after the 2007 uh, primaries, the party was a bit worried. So if you remember in 2009, there was a national delegates conference where the party amended portions of this, its constitution to cut down the number of presidential aspirants from a huge number to 5. Mm-hmm. So uh, with this number that we have now, which is 10, and more and more people will declare their intention, believe you me, um, when the party officially opens domination, the same um, process will be used or adopted to cut out the number to five. So this is going to be done. Uh, when the number is more than five, as the constitution of the party requires, there's going to be a special delegate conference which will cut down the number to only five. So the individuals who will come, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, automatically qualified for the main primaries. Okay. Those who come six, seven, eight to the last number are automatically disqualified from the race. So the first five will go into the main the main Congress to elect a presidential candidate where over 150,000 delegates of the party will do the election to get replacement to the Nekufari. Very well, thank you so much, Samir Yafis, our correspondent at the presidency. We can now listen to Francis Adainimo, former MP from Mampong who has declared today that he wants to be flag bearer of the NDC. And he was there with Dr. Nyaho Nyaho Tamaklo endorsed him. Listen. Will it not be the best solution here? Be a fresh new face, a face that nonetheless brings the needed experience and maturity with both the private and public sectors, whilst also beaming with hope and enthusiastic energy to serve the Ghanaian people. In my opinion, the prevailing circumstances of our party now require a new face as the next presidential candidate. And I say the new face to win the 2023 MVP Black Bearer Contest. Mr. Chairman, it is important before proceeding further to point out the characteristics of the new face to win and whom what characteristics that new face must possess or should offer to the MPP rank and file and to the Ghanaian people. These characteristics will generate vibrant enthusiasm with the rank and file members of the party. We are all poised for the revival, for the revitalization, and the rejuvenation of the MPP, and thereby enabling us to break the age. I hope you can agree with me that these characteristics should include, but not limited, to the following. One, just being a natural unifier. That new face must just be a natural unifier, not an artificial unifier. (laughs) 
The second characteristic. That new face must have an unblemished character and a history of service. You need to have an unblemished character so that people can testify about you. People can witness about you. And so you need that outstanding character for people to know. And then they can testify. And then the third characteristic is that that new face brings the new energy and the fresh appeal to successfully harness, harness the challenging times and opportunities ahead. Mr. Chairman, a fractured party or a fractured MPP cannot win in 2024. It is therefore critical for all members to choose a candidate who is an unrelentless unifier, a leader who is not trapped in any factional exchanges. It is indeed disheartening to know that certain factions have been emerging for some time now in our party. And I am not afraid to say this loud and clear that those factions have become, over time, an entrenched phenomenon that frankly has no place in our party. Simply put, such factions can only cause a devastating erosion of our relevance in the eyes of electors. <laughs> Who may seek solutions elsewhere. These factions stemming essentially from a herd mentality are reprehensible and ought to be discouraged if we seek to be appealing once again to Ghanaians. It is therefore fundamental to put it mildly to dissipate all attempts that spark baseless factional fires ahead of 2024. This, in my view, must be addressed and resolved as a priority. Unifying our members with an appealing program will ensure that each contribution under the flag is welcomed and celebrated. I am humbled that my esteemed team has assessed my qualifications and motivations using these three criteria. And driven by my personal conviction and confident that my values and my professional background can be useful in shaping the necessary initiatives that will significantly improve our country and coupled with the clarion call I have been receiving over these last years from our party members, rank and file, and from the wide consultations and sound advice from the elders of the party, I, at the moment, I have thereby decided, and I am hereby officially announcing my candidacy to be elected as the next flag bearer of the new patriotic party in the independent election. So that's Francis Adainimo. He was an MP for Mampoin. The Ashanti region now wanting again to be flag bearer of the NPP has tried in the past, did not succeed. He wants to do so this time around. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's move on to some other stories, but that will be after this quick break. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at Eyewitness News. You all come back. Let's do some more stories. The Forestry Commission and the Chibi Divisional Police Command have begun investigations into Monday's incident where some unidentified persons invaded the Seji Massive part of the Etiwa Forest Reserve to engage in illegal mining. The Forestry Commission was notified and moved in to immediately demobilize some excavators being used by the illegal miners at the site. The miners took to their heels before the arrival of the team. Speaking to City News on the development, the Deputy Eastern Regional Forestry Manager, Emmanuel Owusu, reiterated the Commission's quest to protect the environment. And the Forestry Commission took a decisive action to immobilize some of the equipment that were being used in the commission of the said offence. As it stands now, the investigation is underway. The matter has been reported at the Chevy Police Command and Forestry Commission together with the police is undertaking a vigorous investigation to apprehend whoever might have been involved. As yet, we are yet to come up with uh, any suspect. Over the past few years, Atiwa has been under threat by illegal mining and other forest infraction. But the commission is resolved to stamp out these activities we are currently putting together our report, and in due course, we will come up with a, a call on the public to assist us in dealing with these infractions. Deputy Eastern Regional Forestry Manager Emmanuel Owusu. Finally, the Member of Parliament for Boku Central, Mahama Yariga, has condemned the involvement of some officers of the Ghana Armed Forces in the death of seven people in Boku. Mahama Yariga in a statement said, There were gunshots last night in the Boku Township, and as part of efforts to bring the situation under control, the military chased everyone they saw within the area. In the process of dispersing the people, six civilians were shot. He says the seventh person, a young boy who was fleeing from the scene, hid behind some shrubs which caught fire and set him ablaze. The MP in the statement is calling on government to immediately investigate and bring to book the perpetrators of the said killings. He has also called on everyone to work towards peace as they try to resolve the matter. A senior pastor with the Seventh-day Adventist Church and three others have reportedly died in an incident, or an accident rather, at Achiana within the Ejisu municipality of the Ashanti region. This incident is reported to have occurred yesterday around midday. According to eyewitnesses, the four deceased persons were occupants in a private Mercedes-Benz with a tipper truck rammed into. The bodies have since been conveyed uh, to the morgue and investigations have commenced into the incident. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. 
Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obudu. Let's settle for the details now. Senior Tax Manager Services at Auditing Firm, KPMG Gordon Dade, is calling for the introduction of performance indicator to ensure the Independent Tax Appeals Board delivers on its mandate. The establishment of the board forms part of government's initiative to enhance revenue administrations and mobilization, which will provide an alternative tax dispute mechanism in the country. Speaking to City Business News, Mr. Dade stated that putting a system in place to measure the board's output would ensure results. We believe that appeals board is, 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 a, is a novel idea. It's uh, something that if the country or the GRE works well with them, it's going to help us to really bring some sanity in the system that we have now. Um, to get them to work to the level that we want them to get to, we believe that they should have the independence to operate, they should have the resources, and even most importantly, they should be given agreed, they should be given targets or KPIs. So, for instance, if they have about 500 cases that are reported to them, how do we ensure that these 500 is being heard timelessly? Okay, so they should agree some KPIs with them, and there should be someone who is measuring those KPIs so that they don't throw the cases to them, and then, I mean, we don't see results. But to let them really work, we expect that the government should provide them with the resources, the tools, they should have the room to operate in terms of independence, and also agree clear KPIs with them. And we believe that once these things are done, uh, we'll see some growth when it comes to our tax revenue, obviously because compliance will go up. And that should give government some room. That was Senior Tax Services Manager at Auditing Firm KPNG, Gordon Dade. Away from that, despite reaching an understanding with the Ministry of Finance on the new terms of the Domestic Debt Exchange Program, the Ghana Securities Industry Association has stated that it is going to seek further clarification on some aspects of the program. Government on Tuesday extended a deadline for the Domestic Debt Exchange Program to February 7, 2023 with new terms. This, according to the association, will bring about some administrative lapses to some fund managers and collective investment schemes. In an interview with City Business News, President of the Association, Winston Nelson Jr., said it is expecting the ministry to throw more light on its revised and final exchange memorandum that will be released on February 2, 2023. When the release came out, these questions came to our association from our members, and we have reached out to the ministry to, to clarify. I agree with you that administratively it will be a, it will be a challenge to uh, try and be applying both because the bonds are held in the name of the fund. So it is, it, is fair, it is a fair point that we have reached out to the Ministry of Finance to clarify that between these two uh, options they have given, where exactly was their intention of where collective investment schemes fall. You should note that the pensions, even though they are in, in, in the retirees, even though they are individual bondholders, for one reason or the other, I think they just try to treat them uh, separately, separately. Uh, like take them out of the individual bondholders and treat them in a, in a much uh, different way. So um, I think by the time on Thursday when the memorandum comes out, this answer, this uh, question should be answered clearly. You have to recognize that the individual uh, for a collective investment there's a fund manager who really just generally makes the decision to a fund. And the fund manager has a board um, who also uh, seconds or authorizes decisions to be made in, in, uh, for the fund. Look, trying to segregate and take this one out and put this one back, it's just going to be an administrative night. 
Winston Nelson Jr. is the president of the Ghana Securities Industries Association. Meanwhile, an economist, Professor Peter Kote, has noted that the 10% coupon rate the government is offering bondholders for their inclusion in the domestic debt exchange program is a fair deal. The government is racing against time to reach an agreement with the investors to to agree to sign an an IMF program. It is also expecting to have a minimum of 80% of its domestic bondholders to sign on to the DDEP in order for it to make a case to access the IMF loan. Speaking to City Business News, Professor Peter Kote says it is important that government speedily reaches a consensus with the bondholders. This kind of dialogue and consensus building is what I expected initially. So I'm, I'm happy to see that we've made a lot of progress. We've been offering something better. And I, I encourage the boardholders to also concede in certain areas and so we, we come to the consensus. Because if we see betting sharing and you're offering zero coupon rates, I, I don't think that that is betting sharing. But with this new uh, coupon rate, uh, 10% coupon rate for those below 59 years and 15% for retirees is put over a five-year period. The good thing is that when we sign on to this and we get on to the IMF program, these bonds will be trade up. If you stick to the old bond, government has said it's voluntary. So if it matures, you will get your money. But what if midstream you want to trade this bond? You will get very little or no money at all if you want to trade. So there is risk in holding on to the old bond. And I encourage the bondholders to reconsider and agree with government on the way forward. Professor Peter Quote is an economist. Now, the National Information Technology Agency, NITA, has assured of streamlining the digital trading space as it continues to advance registration of ICT-related business operations. The state agency explains that it is committed to its digital economy policy to ensure that both public and private organizations render services that meet the changing demand of Ghanaians. Speaking to the media, Speaking at the media launch of the Tech Job Fair 2023, the head of corporate affairs of the National Information Technology Agency, Manofia Gwenu, further urged stakeholders within the ICT space to retrain and train to remain competitive. As part of our regulations, we actually have, I mean, some activities as we are embarking on, which is making sure we establish standards. Standards here means that we need to have some standards by which all IT professionals must abide with. And so it's not only professionals, we're also looking at IT businesses as well. Uh, we're looking at any IT within the IT, ICT space. And so, and we're also doing registration. We want to know what IT, what kind of, uh, the caliber of IT people we have. Uh, and NITA wants to give them some level of validation. We believe that if we get to know what they, what they do, and then uh, we uh, we have them on, on, our, on our register, that is what the law tells us, that we need to have them. Uh, it is easier for them to get government businesses, government jobs, because it is getting to a time when people go to, if you go to bid for any job anywhere, special ICT job, uh, it's one of the requirements will be that have you been to NITA, has NITA cleared you as someone who is eligible to, to, to be doing that IT business? Yes, so government businesses, uh, people people who are, you know so as also part of it we're also doing monitoring monitoring the other people are complying Imano Fiagbenu is the head of corporate affairs of the National Information Technology Agency. In her remarks at of the Institute of ICT Professionals Ghana Juliana Metogo called on key stakeholders to leverage modern technology to close the unemployment gap that exists in the country. 
Now, during the COVID-19 era, when the demand for technology was really high and it meant that we needed a lot of skills in the sector to actually deliver the jobs and get the jobs done. So this taught us in IAPGH and our partner Apple's foundation that there is a very huge tech gap. There is a huge gap for the required and necessary skills needed to deliver the technologies that our people need. And that is why we break the Tech Job Fair. Tech Job Fair is an annual event that brings together industry players, educators, students, government and job seekers to explore the IT job roles. The fair is used to exhibit current ICT-related jobs, the openings in various industries, and also to help other stakeholders to understand the necessary and the required skills to be able to learn the role in ICT. That was a team lead of the Institute of ICT Professionals Ghana, Juliana Ametogo. Now, the Consent Farmers Association of Ghana has debunked claims of child labor in Ghana's cocoa-growing sector. This follows a publication by Qatar-based media organization Al Jazeera, whose reporters visited Ohiam Pinipa in the Amemfi West district of the Western region to file a report on child labor in the country's cocoa sector. Speaking to City Business News on the matter, the president of the association, Nana Obwade Boateng Bonsu, said the publication by the International Media House is false. The general public and Ghanaians have to reject that. We, the farmers, don't do that. We are not in such an act. I have told the length and breadth of this country. There is nothing like a child labor. It is not true. If the child is not at school, it's supposed to be at the farm. That is our culture. You can't go to the farm and leave your child at home. And now you know, this kidnapping and the whole lot of things, and then this teen pregnancy, and then this small, small child, and another thing that is happening. You can't leave your child at home. And then uh, looking at these children, if they are talking about child labor, what are the activities that the kids were doing? When you go to the Western world, they are even doing child labor more than what we are doing here. Go to India, go to the other countries and see the kind of job that they are using children to do. Very hard work. We don't have that here in Ghana. Well, that is, that, that is their main motive of, of just doing it because now uh, we have the Chinese that they are coming out with their cocoa. We have other countries that they are also doing their cocoa. They, they, they want to find a way just to uh, blacklist Ghana from selling to buy their cocoa, maybe the other thing, right? All these documentary that is coming out and other things, it's, it's a forceful documentary. It is a forceful documentary which the government of the day have to react because it is tarnishing the image of our country. Because I have been to the Western region, there is nothing of that sort. Nana Obwade Boating Bonsu is the president of the Consent Farmers Association of Ghana. That's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obudu. Thank you for listening. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandaman. Tonight on Point Blank, the National Democratic Congress, NDC, is calling on the Public Accounts Committee of Parliament to expedite plans geared towards the hearing of how government spent COVID-19 funds. 
According to the party, the NPP government has greatly misused the funds. And this is coming after the Auditor General's report that government received 2.21 billion uh, CDs to fight COVID-19, but only 11 billion CDs was used directly in the fight. The National Communications Officer of the NDC, Sami Jinvi, addressed the media today. The crux of the case against Honorable Latoforsen is that he was allegedly involved in the issuance of letters of credit for the supply of some ambulances in the past. Which ambulances were actually supplied and delivered only to be abandoned by the Sakufuado Bahumia government? In the instant case involving Kwekwaji Memenu, it remains to be seen whether the said 26 ambulances will arrive in Ghana at all. The future, they say, is pregnant. Still on various losses occasioned the Ghanaian taxpayer, the Auditor General's report uncovers how medical equipment valued at $110,088 and 27,895 cities were issued to a private hospital in Medina, which did not serve as a COVID-19 isolation center and did not receive any COVID-19 patients. This is a clear case of misappropriation of COVID-19 resources and highlights how COVID-19 funds and resources, equipment, were shared wantingly like granules to cronies of the Kufuado Bawumia government instead of being used to protect lives. In similar vein, the Auditor General's report reveals how medical equipment valued at $247,404 which were procured and received at the central medical stores and subsequently issued to some specific health facilities did not reach the health facilities. In other words, the medical equipment vanished. Ladies and gentlemen, to all intents and purposes, this was a great loot and share arrangement in which officials of government People we have elected to protect us, our duty bearers who we pay with our taxes, created schemes and procured medical equipment for personal gain under the guise of fighting COVID-19 instead of saving lives. Number seven, ladies and gentlemen, the free-for-all abuse of COVID-19 funds, as gleaned from the Auditor General's report, took the form of various shady schemes. One of such underhand dealings was a case of the over-invoicing, the case of over-invoicing by the National Food Buffer Stock Company. The Auditor General found, through his investigations, that between April 2020 and September 2020, the company received three payments totaling 42.2 million Ghana cities. That is some 420 billion old Ghana cities. Whereas way bills 
from various institutions which received these supplies amounted to only 40.8 million Ghana cities, thereby leading to over invoicing of 1.4 million Ghana cities and over. Regrettably, instead of exercising its power to surcharge and disallow those responsible, the Auditor General feebly, feebly prefers to, as it were, recommend to the CEO of the National Food Buffer Stock Company to refund the SS money. This we find very objectionable. We hereby serve notice to the CEO of the Buffer Stock Company to in his own interest, in his own interest, refund the said funds immediately or consider himself a candidate for prosecution when power changes hands. Friends from the media, one of the most bizarre findings of the Auditor General had to do with cash payments by the Ministry of Gender, Children and Social Protection totaling 11.9 million Ghana cities, some 110 billion Ghana cities, old Ghana cities, to caterers who provided hot news during the three weeks of partial lockdown, which monies were all retired with honor certificates. It is quite obvious, even to the uninitiated, that the resort to honor certificates, if you say honor certificates, all that, for example, you are buying food from a restaurant. So, Hedjia uh, Bintu of Class Media goes to um, Popeye and say, I'm ordering 1,000 packs of fried rice. And when she goes to her superiors at the workplace, she doesn't show her superiors with any receipts from Papaya that shows that she actually bought 1,000 packs of fried rice and was supplied with 1,000 packs of fried rice and actually delivered the 1,000 packs of fried rice to the workers of CMG. But rather, write something on the paper. That is what is called an certificate. That, oh, indeed, 1,000 packs of fried rice were bought and supplied. That is all. No invoice, no receipts for hot meals which cost the ordinary Ghanaian a whopping 11.9 million Ghana cities. And we are talking about just some uh, two-jimmy rice with egg without meat served to few people in Kumase, Kaswa, and Accra during three weeks of partial lockdown. Ladies and gentlemen, it is quite obvious, even to the uninitiated, that the resort to honor certificates instead of hard evidence in the form of invoices and receipts to support these claims and payments was a well-calculated scheme to whitewash and cover up the inflated expenditure on hot meals by the Yakufu Adobawomiya government and has in fact deprived the nation of value for money in the said transactions. According to the Auditor General, his office could not authenticate the cash payments because they were supported with mere honor certificates and lacked internal checks, resulting in the possibility 
of payments being made to persons who may not have provided any service. And this is coming from the Auditor General, not some agency or the NDC. But ladies and gentlemen, what is most shocking is a related finding by the Auditor General that there were no honor certificates prepared for payments totaling 5.6 million Ghana cities out of the 7.9 million Ghana cities paid to caterers at the headquarters of the Ministry of Gender, Children and Social Protection. This is a clear case of broad daylight theory, if not robbery, which must not go unpunished. So, in the case of the 11.9 million, at least they were charitable to Ghanaians to have produced honor certificates. But in the case of this 5.6 million, which is equivalent to some 56 billion old Ghana cities, there were no receipts, no invoices, no honor certificates. So they just claimed that they spent 56 billion on what meals with no evidence to substantiate that. So you ask yourself, if these monies belong to President Ekufuado or his wife, is this how he would have expended it? You were giving money to fight a pandemic which at the time was killing many and in fact killed many. And this is how you chose to abuse these fans only to turn around and blame the same pandemic for our economic woes. Judge for yourself if these people deserve to be at the helm of affairs of our country. Friends from the media, it has also emerged that at the height of the pandemic, when frontline health workers complained about the lack of adequate PPEs, with some even losing their lives, senior management and support of the Ministry of Information were busy paying themselves a total amount of 151,000 Ghana cities as COVID-19 risk allowance without approval. One may ask, what risk did Kwebio Oponkroma and these staff of the Ministry of Information face to warrant the sharing of such colossal amount of money among themselves as risk allowance? You here, media men, you attended many Meet the press series organized by Kojo Ponkroma in the Ministry of Information. When you went there, were you tested for COVID? Or were you treated for COVID? To have warranted the payment of COVID risk allowances to Kojo Ponkroma and his staff. What is even more bizarre is the finding of the Auditor General that allowances totaling 811,000. 800 Ghana cities were paid. That is some 8.1 billion OCDs were paid to staff of the Information Ministry without adequate supporting documents. The Auditor General noted that apart from expenditure memos and signed sheets, there were no activity or program reports to support and authenticate these allowances. It goes without saying that the Ministry of Information and its staff must immediately refund these unjustifiable payments to the states 
or be held to account. And I don't know whether Kojo Oponkroma is still in Ghana. I've been checking his Twitter page and his social media handles to see what he has to say about this damning revelation. But I am here to see any response from him. He doesn't deserve to be in the position he currently finds himself in if these findings of the Auditor General are true. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, the Auditor General also found that COVID-19 related payments were made to various service providers totaling 543 million Ghana cities. That is some 5 trillion old Ghana cities outside of the Ghana Integrated Financial Management Information System, GIFMIS, in clear violation of Regulation 61 of the Public Financial Management Regulations 2019 LI 2378. Clearly, these illegal payments were deliberately made by officers of the Finance Ministry in order to obviate the strict rigors and scrutiny of the government system. There is no doubt about the fact that this illegal act of the Akufuado Bawumia government has deprived the state of value for money as far as the said payments are concerned. Number 11. Quite strangely, ladies and gentlemen, the Auditor General also found that contrary to Regulation 78 of the Public Financial Management Act, the Ministry of Local Government made payments from COVID-19 funds totaling 285,135 cities on 10 transactions not related to COVID-19 activities at all. Again, number 12, the Auditor General found that between April 2020 and November 2020, the Ministry of Health made 23 payments, totaling 4.5 million Ghana cities, to various suppliers for the supply of food items to the Pentecost Center and the Pantaya Solution Centers to cater for COVID-19 patients. Further scrutiny by the Auditor General disclosed that out of the total payments made, 3.7 million Ghana cities, equivalent to some 37 billion old Ghana cities, were fully acquainted and substantiated, leaving a difference of 765,459 cities unaccounted for. Friends from the media, the Auditor General further noted that a company known, that, known as Modern Security Printers was awarded a contract to print 929,550 pieces of educational posters at a cost of 4.3 million Ghana cities and to conduct public education on COVID-19 safety protocols for students for an amount of approximately 1.4 million Ghana cities. Shockingly, Shockingly, the Auditor General did not find any report or evidence that supports the execution of the so-called public education. Yet, these monies have not been retrieved for the people of this country. This unaccounted payment is a clear case of financial loss, a clear case of stealing from the people of this country which must be retrieved 
without delay. Additionally, the Auditor General found that contrary to the express provisions of the public procurement law, the Ministry of Health, without approval of the Central Tender Review Committee, increased the cost of five contracts with total contract sum of 24.2 million Ghana cities by 4 million Ghana cities through variation orders. Similarly, the Auditor General established that the Ministry of Health entered into four contracts for the supply of PPEs at a cost of 9.2 million Ghana cities. That is some 92 billion old Ghana cities. Two single source procurement without the approval of the Board of the Public Procurement Authority. Number 15, and lastly, the Auditor General, ladies and gentlemen, also noted that in line with update number 6 of the President's address to the nation of 9th April 2020, non-governmental organizations and individual private water sellers provided free water services to their clients and customers at various MMDCs, MMDAs. However, a review of COVID-19 free water bills at the Community Water and Sanitation Agency disclosed that there were no actual water bills generated and submitted to the agency by the NGO and private individual water providers to support their claims. The Auditor General could not verify the bill and validate the dubious payment of a whopping 37.6 billion million Ghana cities. That is some 370 billion old cities by the Ministry of Finance. So you heard government announce free water. Some NGOs and private water suppliers said they were going to supply communities without pipe bond water or outside the reach of Ghana Water Company Limited with free water. These companies have water meters. And so it should have been very easy for the government of Ghana if it cared about the people of this country and if they were interested in the judicious utilization of public funds. It should have been very easy for them to say, bring your water bills so that we pay you. But that is not what Alaji Bahumia and President Tekufuado did. They simply asked the water suppliers, what is the production capacity, the daily production capacity of your machine? How many people live in the community you supply them with water? They just multiplied it and paid without seeing any water bill. This can only happen in a Kufuados Ghana. This cannot happen in any civilized jurisdiction that the whole government will pay for water without seeing water bills. When the suppliers of that water have water meters. This, I don't know how to describe it. But this is a tragedy of monumental proportions. Distinguished friends from the media, while time will not permit us to discuss all the startling details contained in the report of the Auditor General, the above disclosures are quite scandalizing to say the least. It is very clear that while COVID-19 may have been a national health disaster for Ghana, it was a bonanza and an avenue for officials of the Ekufuado Bagumia government and the new patriotic party 
to engage in the most obscene plundering of state resources never seen before in Ghana's history. You may recall that at the height of the pandemic in 2020, an audio recording of one Madam Felicia Tete, a former MCE and parliamentary candidate of the MPP in the Sagnerigu constituency in the northern region, emerged with grim details about how she, as a parliamentary candidate, was giving a hopping 100,000 cities, that is equivalent to 1 billion old Ghana cities, of COVID funds, while another 200,000 Ghana cities, 2 billion old cities, was given to her constituency channel. I'm sure most of you have heard this, but some may not have heard. And some of the people watching us may not have heard. So for the avoidance of that, we will play to you just one minute of that audio so that it can go on public record. And those of you who have not heard will know, will know um, how COVID-19 funds were distributed. We will play that after we take the questions. By simple extrapolation and arithmetic, and by parity of reasoning, about 82.5 million Ghana cities of COVID-19 fans were doled out to new patriotic party parliamentary candidates and constituency chairmen in all 275 constituencies across the country. So we are listening there to Samit Jemfi's National Communications Officer of the NDC and he was addressing the press on COVID-19 funds and how they were expended and asking for the Public Accounts Committee of Parliament to take action. That will be it for tonight's um, edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama, the production by Bevelyn London. The technical support from Daniel Squashi and new media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We return tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Good night. our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.